After reading these words about scripture alone, let us turn to the book of John, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 39 through 47. Now, what would a Reformation service be without reminding ourselves of the occasion of Reformation Day? It is now 505 years since Martin Luther hung on the church of on the door of the Church of Wittenberg in Germany, his 95 theses. Now, we in the Western world often look at that event as the jumping point for the Reformation, but we all know that the Reformation was already taking place even for hundreds of years, for there were those who wanted the scriptures to be in the language of the people, men like John Wycliffe, who translated the scriptures into English, Men like John Huss, who preached the word in the language of his people. And, of course, Martin Luther, who translated, in the end, the Bible into German. We have God's word in part because these reformers knew how important God's word is. And I have to ask the question, is there still a need for reformation in the church? You know, many believers do not say that Christ is the only way. Increasingly, it's not the word, God's word, which is authoritative in even the so-called Bible-believing churches. We constantly need to be brought back to the word of God for our doctrine, for our practice, and for everything that we believe. With that in mind, let us turn to this passage where Jesus talks about the scriptures. Of course, in his day, that means the Old Testament. Here now, the words that Jesus says in a conversation he's having, particularly with the Jewish leaders who are opposed to him. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? As we consider this section of God's word, let us briefly pray that we might learn from it. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It is not merely man's. It should not be treated flippantly, for Lord, your word, unlike the grass that withers and the flowers that fade, your word shall stand forever. Lord, give us ears to hear it and hearts to understand it, so that we might be drawn closer to you. I pray, Lord, that the words spoken here would be consistent with your own, or else pass away and never be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a day or two ago, 
perhaps you saw in the news that there was a shocking attack on a student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus. There was a student at an event in which he was reading the Bible publicly outside that event when protesters among his fellow students came up to him and they began beating a can with a stick right next to him and other students began to use loudspeakers or other electronic devices to try and stop others from hearing the word read from the Bible. Then one of them grabbed his Bible and ripped it up and threw it on the ground. And at least one page, if not more, were eaten by one of the students present. Now if you think of an event like this, what is shocking to you? Is it shocking that there were those who did not want to hear God's word? Was it shocking that there were those who wanted to stop that person reading God's word at all costs? Was it shocking to you the way that they would treat a fellow human being who was simply reading a passage out of a book? Or was it shocking to you that someone would tear up the Bible? Or perhaps the biggest shock, maybe because it's so bizarre, is that somebody would eat it. What is irreverent about this picture? Is it irreverent that these individuals acted in this way or merely shocking? You see, for us, the Bible is not a magic talisman. It's not that because that Bible was destroyed, something terrible was going to happen and lightning would strike them on the spot. Obviously, it didn't. It's not as if having a Bible is the most important thing. You can have a Bible sitting on your shelf and never read it, and it does you not one bit of good. It should not be shocking to us that those who don't know the Lord, who are not seeking the Lord, who have never heard the gospel, would not want to hear it. Even knowing the content of the Bible is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. There are atheists that know the Bible better than I do. There are those who would proclaim antagonism towards the scriptures that know the Bible better than many of our renowned theologians. And yet, Jesus and the Word of God describes the Word as life. In this passage... Jesus does remind us that in the scriptures is eternal life. He also reminds us that in the scriptures is the call to Christ, and yet in the scriptures is judgment. In verse 39, he tells those who are there with him, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now it's interesting, he does not deny that in the scriptures is eternal life. What he's challenging them about is their searching of the scriptures, for they're not finding what they should find. You see, eternal life in the scriptures is not in the searching of them. Now, these people that he's talking to, they knew their Bible. These were primarily scribes, Pharisees, learned men who, as a way of life, have learned the scriptures. Some of these with, with them, if we understand the days, may have even memorized the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. The word for search here 
is to examine it closely or scrutinize it. In other words, he's telling them, you do this already. He's commending them in a way for doing this. He says, you examine the scriptures, you search the scriptures. In essence, you know the scriptures. But eternal life is not found in the searching and the reading and in the scrutinizing. You see, this was the failure of the Jews. Verse 18 reminds us this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Now, of course, we know this is particularly the Jewish leaders, those who were jealous of Jesus and did not accept him as the Messiah. The failure they had was not that they weren't searching the scriptures. They were searching the Old Testament. In fact, they loved the Old Testament. Their problem was they weren't finding what they should find there. Now, if we were to turn to Acts 17, 11, we would know that there was a group of people who did search the scriptures, who did find what they were looking for. That was the Bereans. As Paul ministered the gospel in Berea, there were those who searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true, and to their joy, they found out that Christ really is in the Old Testament. And so they joyfully received eternal life by trusting in Jesus. You see, Jesus says here exactly what the testimony of these scriptures is. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and as that is a true statement, they do contain eternal life. He says this, it is they that bear witness about me. Their testimony is Christ. When you read Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, that particular passage, as you read through the book of Genesis, it's all pointing to Jesus. As you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus and you go through all those commandments, you understand that in the end, it points us to Jesus. When you're reading the book of Leviticus and it goes through all of the details of the law and cleanness and uncleanness and feasts and festivals and all those things, in the end it points us to Jesus. Now I could go on through all 39 books. But Jesus says the scriptures in his day, that means the Old Testament, New Testament haven't been written yet, the Old Testament testifies about me. And the Spirit's testimony agrees. In fact, just a few chapters later, John chapter 15, verse 26, as he's teaching the apostles about the Holy Spirit who is to come, he says, Now when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what is the Bible about? The Bible's about Jesus. That's the end or purpose of the scriptures. What is the Holy Spirit all about? It's not all about chaos and and all kinds of fascinating things. It's primarily about Jesus. He is about Jesus. The scriptures are about Jesus. In fact, the scriptures were described in 2 Timothy 3.15. It says the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do the scriptures do? Why are the scriptures so important? Why do we say sola scriptura? Because in the scriptures is the Savior who brings eternal life. 
You know, sometimes I think what we do is when we try to search the scriptures, we think sometimes if we just dig deep enough, we have a, a, a great enough academic exercise. If we just look at the words in their proper context and we do all the things that a good scholar or theologian or pastor does, then that process will make us better or will save us. But that's what these people were trying to do. And they didn't see Jesus. Sometimes we have the spiritual person, you know who it is, the guy that tells you he's not set foot in church for 15 years, and he says, I'm a very spiritual person. And yet it says the Holy Spirit testifies about me. If somebody really is a very spiritual person, that means they, they talk about Jesus all the time. We must talk about Jesus because Jesus is the point of the scriptures. The life-revealing gospel is there. When we look at the Old Testament, we say it's there and there and there and there. It's in the Psalms. It's in the writings. It's in the prophets. It's everywhere. Jesus is everywhere, but it takes eyes opened by the Holy Spirit and faith to see. And that's where we understand that the Old Testament scriptures are calling us to Jesus. Verse 40 says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is the failure of the hearers. Here, here are these folks. They know the Bible. They know their Old Testament. They know the laws forwards and backwards. They've read the prophets. They know the Psalms. They know the writings of David. They've searched them. They know them. They know them probably backwards and forwards, and yet they're not coming to Jesus. Why? Here he says these things. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Why do they fail to come to him? Here are some reasons. Jesus gives several. First of all, it's their belief that Christ needed their approval. He says, I don't receive glory from men. In other words, he doesn't need our stamp of approval to say, okay, you can be my Messiah. These individuals thought because they were teachers in the law and because they were in essence seeking to earn their salvation by their works for the most part, they thought they needed to basically say to the world and stamp the approval that this really is God's Messiah. But he didn't need that from them. It doesn't matter what we believe. He is the Messiah whether we believe him or not. But these individuals, because they could not get past the fact that they didn't see him in the scriptures, at least the kind of Jesus they, they saw before their eyes, someone who was not somebody to look, like, look at, somebody who was not dressed nicely or had a nice house, someone who was not among those that were of the scribes growing up, learning the things at the feet of all the wonderful rabbis, uh, someone who wasn't uh, necessarily associating with the people they expected, someone that was not from the circles that they uh, thought he should be from, because of all those things, they could not see him, even as they searched the scriptures. And why? Because in the end, as Jesus knew, they lacked love for God. You see, their life was not really about pleasing God. It was not about their relationship with the Father. Their life was really about loving themselves. 
and gaining the glory of their neighbors. Because they lacked this love, and of course, who could know that but Jesus, the divine Son of God? We wouldn't know that by looking at somebody and their heart. He knew that. He says to them, you don't come to me because you don't love the Father. And then they lacked discernment in recognizing the Christ. Here's what it says again. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. In other words, he's saying, I've come from the Father. This is something that's been repeating throughout the book of John. I come from the Father. He says it over and over again, chapter 5, several times. He says, this is where I come, but you don't see me because you don't love the Father, so you don't know who he sends. And also, because you're not looking for what God would send, you'll receive glory from anybody who's self-important enough to claim to be the Christ But when the Messiah is really here before you in humility, you don't see him. You see, you can even know the Bible and not recognize Jesus. Jesus is sent from the Father. And of course, here they are. What are they ready to receive? What they're ready to receive is this. The glory that comes from one another. Verses 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You see, they were more interested in the approval of others, the pats on the back of others, for others to know that you're knowledgeable, for others to know that you do good things, for others to know that you know the right people, for others to know, the list goes on, doesn't it? We like for people to tell us, you're a great guy. And we seek to gain glory from one another. They're so busy doing that that they don't see the glory of Jesus. Here it is. The scriptures are calling them. The Old Testament revealing to them their need for righteousness because they're sinners. The Old Testament scriptures promising a Messiah to save the remnant of God's people. And the Messiah was standing in front of them. And they did not even recognize him. How much more so in this day and age when people don't know their Bibles, people haven't heard the gospel, people aren't looking for the salvation that God brings. How much more so, even though the call is there from scriptures, that they do not seek the Christ. You see, when unbelievers search the scriptures, they often find a Christ who eerily looks much like themselves. Or they look at someone who fulfills much of what looks like to be their solution to man's problems. You know how it is. Every politician can seemingly quote scripture, at least by those who work for them, but they can misquote it just as easily as apply it correctly. Any scientist, any medical officer, any academic, any athlete can use scripture to justify what their position is on things or to justify their solution for mankind's travails. But it's only Jesus that provides the answer for eternal life. You see, in the scriptures is the call to Christ. The hearers often fail to come, but they also fail to heed Christ's word. Just in verses 24 and 25 of this same chapter, Jesus has said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
Then he said in verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. In other words, hearing God's word, that's not just auditory hearing. That means hearkening to it, obeying it, trusting it, loving it, brings life. No other book can do that. No other way of salvation can do that. Only the gospel contained in the word of God. In chapter 8, verse 51, we read these words, much the same. Not only does the word bring life, but the word and keeping it can avoid death. Here are the words of Jesus. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Why is scripture so important? Because scripture points to the Messiah. We can look at creation and see that there is a God, but creation doesn't tell us who the Messiah is. We can look at other people in the church and we can gain all of their wisdom and all of the moral advice, but unless they share with us the content of the scriptures, we will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is vital that scriptures define for us who Jesus the Christ is. Because in the scriptures is also judgment. You look at verse 45, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. In other words, he's telling these well-learned men, he says, You're searching the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. Your thinking is presuppositional in the sense that you think that by your good works and following the law, you can gain eternal life. But he's telling them these scriptures instead tell us about our need for Jesus. And he says here, don't think I'm going to be your accuser. You already have one. He says to them, your hope is not found in Moses. He says, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Now, of course, they're not just saying we believe in Moses and Moses is going to be the instrument of our salvation. What they're talking about is the Old Testament law, the books of Moses. This was so very, very important for them to understand the covenant had God had made with Israel and all those things, all the blessings and the privileges that were contained in it. And for them to hear from Jesus, your hope is not found in the law, is shocking. That's what they thought. They thought if I'm a good person according to the law and I, I, I get a hedge around all the law with all the rules and all the details and all my understanding of the law and I keep that, then God will love me, I will be saved. And Jesus says you cannot find salvation that way. Hope is not found in Moses. Shocking. Can hope be found in Moses? Not on Moses, it can be found in Moses' writing. What do the scriptures do? What does the law do for us? First of all, it tells us we're a sinner. Secondly, it tells us we need righteousness. Finally, it reminds us of the judgment to come. And by hearing all of those things together, what does the Spirit tell us in the books of Moses? It tells us you need a Savior. And so Moses, he says, if you believe Moses, this is verse 46, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. 
Moses wrote about Christ. That's what the scriptures are for. The scriptures are not just for forming a theological lesson. The scriptures are not just for finding out practical things of what to do in life, uh, like avoiding anxiety or, or finding ways to financially please God. They're not just for those things. In the end, these things are about Jesus. Moses wrote about Christ. And then he says this, verse 47. He says, but if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? You see, a failure to believe Moses results in a failure to believe Jesus, the Christ. I have to say, when I first read through all the laws and the details of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and, and all those things, you, you wonder sometimes when you can get lost in all the, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't do this and do this and, and this is the way to be clean and this is the way to be ceremonially washed and this is the way to celebrate uh, feasts and festivals and here over here is how you deal with it when uh, you have someone who, whose spouse has died and the brother needs to marry that wife and all the, you know, there's all those details in there and you wonder, where is Jesus? But Jesus himself said, these scriptures, all of them, even the ones that Moses wrote in the first five books of the Bible, what are they about? They're about Jesus. Jesus will say in the book of Luke chapter 16 when he's describing the details of Lazarus and the rich man. Perhaps you remember that. Some people call it a parable, although scripture doesn't tell us it's a parable. We don't know for sure. It describes this rich man and this poor guy, Lazarus. They both die. The rich man had treated Lazarus poorly. Lazarus had had to eat the scraps that came off the table of the rich man. And in heaven was Lazarus. He evidently had seen Christ in the scriptures. With all his wealth, all his privilege, all his status, the rich man never saw Christ. And so he was not with Abraham as it says in the Old Testament, in Abraham's bosom, but he was across the chasm that was fixed from one state to another. And he was in despair and torture. And he looked up to Abraham and he said, Lord, if, or, uh, Abraham, if you could just give to me uh, anything to help, basically. But he was most concerned about his brothers who were still alive. And he said to Abraham, he said, just send Lazarus, poor Lazarus. Of course, he's still trying to show his superiority over Lazarus. He says, just send Lazarus back to my brothers and they will believe. And what does Jesus say? Listen to the words. Luke chapter 16. It says this. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In other words, if you don't hear the word of God and believe the word of God on the promises of Jesus, you cannot be saved. There's no other way. Scripture alone. In Luke chapter 24, 27, when the disciples, a few of them, are walking down the Emmaus Road and they're perplexed at how Jesus had died on the cross, they hadn't heard all the details of the crucifixion, but they, they're hearing reports that are there, and Jesus appears amongst them and walks with them, and he gets to the end of where, where they're spending the night, and it says to us that he opened up what? Moses and the prophets. 
to explain to them, interpret to them how they are about him. You see, the scriptures are about Jesus. All the Old Testament teaches about Jesus. And of course, we know all the New Testament's about Jesus. To claim scripture alone is to claim Christ alone. You see, you cannot have one without the other. The scripture makes that claim. James read it earlier. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. The Old Testament, as wonderful as the words are, but as, as we struggle in our culture and society to, to identify with all the things that happen in the Old Testament and all the things that go on in all the details of the law, it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about the fact that apart from Christ, we cannot be saved. Apart from the content of the scripture, which is in the end, Jesus Christ, we cannot be saved. The scriptures contain the lifeblood of the believer. We love God's word. Why? Because we love Jesus. We love God's word. The word teaches, it rebukes, it trains us in righteousness, it equips us to serve the Lord. But if we miss Christ in the scriptures, we've missed the point entirely. Yes, they teach the solas, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, Glory to God alone. We could point to different scripture passages and show how each one of those doctrines is true. They teach doctrine and the believer searches those scriptures. Hopefully he or she memorizes them. Hopefully they are convicted by them through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in the end, what is the most important about the Reformation? It's that we come to Christ. What the scriptures do, most importantly, as we search them and examine them, is it draws us closer to God. It fixes that bridge that is the chasm between us and a holy God. And as we come to that bridge, which is Jesus, we understand we cannot cross that bridge on our own works. We need grace alone. We cannot cross that bridge because of anything we've done. It is only by faith alone through Christ alone. We cannot cross that bridge by any other means but on the back of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And in the end, we know that as scripture teaches us this, the glory is only to God alone. It's not based on my power to search the scriptures and find the answer. I'll never find it apart from God's Holy Spirit at work in me. It's not about what I can do for God. It's about what God has done for me. It's not about what I can find out or discover based on everything in my life and all my experience and all of my expertise. It's only in this. I come with nothing to the cross but cling to Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of celebrating this great historic occasion of the Reformation. But Lord, it's not about history alone. It's not about those individuals who challenge the church with the authority of Scripture. It's about how your Holy Spirit has worked through the ages to place your word in the hearts of men, women, and children that they might see Christ in your word to resolve their need, 
their need to be forgiven of their sins and their need for a Messiah and their need to be encouraged with the assurance of eternal life through faith in Christ. We thank you for what you have done and pray that we will always be reforming our thoughts, our lives, our actions upon Christ and you.